Okay, Matt, uh, welcome to the Founders Club uh, podcast. Thanks for having me. Uh, awesome. Okay, so uh, let's jump into our conversation and uh, let's start with a bit of your background. Sure. So you, if you can walk us about and tell more about your background and how you transitioned from the States, right? Yep. To Asia. Um, so, uh, yeah, I'm originally from the U.S. I was born in Philadelphia and a few weeks after graduating or a few weeks before graduating college, I didn't really know if I was going to stay in the U.S. or not. A big debt to pay after college. <laughs> yes. <laughs> a lot of my friends were going to get MBAs, and uh, I'd traveled in China, India, and other parts of Asia before, so I thought um, that would be interesting. And there's a family friend that actually took me over the edge and said, if Matt is interested in China, he should move back and learn Mandarin. And um, so it's supposed to be two years in China, um, and it turned out to be, now I've been here for almost 10 years. So you, you came here with a purpose to learn Mandarin? Yes. Okay, that's interesting. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, after those two years, you start to learn the, the language. And yep. then what others um, would say endeavors or uh, journey you joined? So I was, uh, I was teaching, but I was also trying to set up a quality assurance business, um, doing like uh, factory checks for different companies in America. A lot of like friends of friends or family friends were, had factories here or were producing different types of manufacturing, different types of equipment here. And uh, so I was doing checks for those. And then my current business partner and I, we had some other uh, projects that we were working on. Like we started, we tried to start a t-shirt business. Uh, we had an NGO idea, which is kind of how we, we really got to know each other. What was the idea you guys uh, had at the time? Uh, one idea was the picture project. So you, um, we would take in amateur and professional photos that are donated to the picture project and 80% of the purchase price from the person buying a photo would go to the project of their choice. And the, the money would be donated to people that are working for NGOs around the world. They're trying to raise money for side projects. So like building schools or installing so solar panels, it was meant to fund that. What um, were the key learnings uh, that you got from that idea? And did it took off or it didn't? Yeah, it didn't take off. Um, uh, I think partly we didn't put everything we've gotten to it. It was just a, it's almost like a hobby to see what we could mm -hmm. we could work on uh, together. Um, the t-shirt business, we actually did produce a lot of t-shirts. It's called Chinglish Tees. And uh, we did some promo videos and sold a couple of t-shirts, but it wasn't anything major. Um, the picture project, the stumbling blocks where it's not that easy to transfer money through different uh, banks overseas and right. into China and out of China. And um, so that was, a, that was kind of a daunting task. We didn't know en enough about operations and business, I think, to get that off the ground. But uh, most recently, Devin developed a platform called LingoPet, which was for um, Chinese students learning English. So it was a <coughs> series of game engines like Ninja Slicing, Bubble Popping, Panda, Word Find, et cetera. Um, and we had some success with that. I tried to help him commercialize it as his partner. And uh, we got into a few schools, but again, it's, it was some stumbling blocks with um, bureaucracy in China, uh, especially in the schools. It's, quite political and it's not that easy just to come in with a new technology and convince teachers, the superintendent and, and the parents to, to adopt a new technology for learning English, even though it was quite fun and, and innovative. Right, so uh, it was here in China that you met your uh, partner and, uh, act and current uh, co-founder. Yep. 
We met handing out uh, brochures in, in Shunda, in Guangdong province. Okay, so that's <laughs> a, good, uh, a good way to meet uh, with another and found another person that uh, later on will join uh, your, uh, your startup, yeah. which in this case was uh, Atium. Can you talk us how you at Devon, right? Yeah, Devon. Uh, Devon, um, start the project uh, of uh, Atium. What is Atium? So Atium is a mobile-based learning <coughs> system for, so there's actually quite a few things that were uh, brought over from Devon's learning at Lingopet in terms of development. Um, but it's a way for corporates to disseminate and share training content. So um, often the boring stuff like compliance or service standards, product knowledge. We take PPTs, Excel spreadsheets, videos, and we turn them into a bite-sized learning um, experience for, for teams at corporations. Um, so it's all mobile-based. The idea was born out of, out of very boring corporate training I'd been through over the last four or five years. So that was the insight that you got? You were working in the corporate or what was it? Yeah, so part I was on a management rotation with a MNC company here in China. Part of that rotation involved a 10-day 10, um, 10 day training, 10 hours a day. <laughs> and I remember on day two, I was looking around the classroom. I think even day one, like by the afternoon, no one was paying attention. They were all on their phones doing either work or playing games. Right. And, no uh, the, engagement there. No engagement. And the training manager is just reading word for word off PPT slides. And she looked tired. She looked super bored. <laughs> and I thought there's got to be a better way to, to do this. Um, not to say that there shouldn't be classroom training. There should definitely still, this should still exist, but it should be part of something bigger that involves technology. We still need to have face-to-face -face interaction for team building, um, for building camaraderie, and for personalization. Uh, it's really important, but, you know, to go over things like, again, product knowledge, service, standards, SOPs, it's very um, daunting to do that in the classroom for everybody and right. expensive. Right, so now um, I think like corporates start to understand that there has to be like a mix of in-class but also online yep. uh, training for their employees. And uh, I guess that's what you're trying to, to, to help them with, provide more personalized and engaged uh, content for their uh, employees to train with. And um, I want to ask you, obviously now business are starting to, to see the value of continuous learning, mm -hmm. uh, but creating a nurturing and uh, learning culture is a really difficult task. So what are the key steps that all L&D departments uh, teams should take to get uh, started in this area? For getting started on a continuous learning path? Yes, to deploy in their companies and help their employees to have these programs of continuous learning and developing their skills and so on and so forth. Yeah, I think it really depends on the, the level of the human resources department, um, their experience, their experience with technology. Um, are they from outside or inside the industry? But overall, I think it's really important to look at the, you know, a short-term and long-term strategy. What kind of resources you have to dedicate? People resources, financial resources um, that you can dedicate towards training. And then, there's, of course, there's a variety of options for you know, doing internal um, uh, training workshops or bringing in external uh, people or experts to, to train teams. And then there's a whole variety of different technologies uh, I know I'm biased, but I think it's personally very important to, to adopt a blended learning concept where you are using the talent you have inside 
-hmm. but uh, leveraging that talent and optimizing and, and building continuous learning with, uh, with technology. Right. So yeah, there are, there are um, a lot of challenges, especially in China with, uh, with resources and, um, and making sure that, that you can execute on a, on a strategy. It's great to want lots of different tools and different experts to come in, but you have to really evaluate what you've, what you've got on, your, on hand. So what are those, some of those challenges and how you help them overcome those challenges that you mentioned? Yeah, I think for us, um, because we've created a technology that's very approachable and accessible for not just teams to learn new things, but also for the managers to learn about their teams. Um, so, mm, so it's like a way to understand how, my, how much my team are working and performing, but also how much my team are uh, learning and developing themselves and level up and boost their skills. Yeah, that's part of it. And I think the traditional learning management system, they're great and they have a lot of great content and they're dynamic in some ways, but sometimes it's very difficult to update mm -hmm. content or keep it up to date. Often there's only a few people in the organization that, can, that, that have the keys to, to access um, the updates and the admin rights to, to the platform. Um, so we've made it so everybody in the company, uh, all the different department directors, anybody that has admin rights to the platform can use things like drag and drop, uh, copy and paste. It's very easy to publish new training uh, modules to, to different teams. So it's much easier and uh, faster to get up and running and also to keep things up to date um, via our, our website. You have a, a backend a management portal where they can you know, manage users and users' rights and, and also um, different types of content. Uh, let's go a bit back and uh, talk about Atium in general. Mm. Uh, when did you launch the company and can you talk about the tra trajectory? Because I do remember that you also went through Chen Accelerator, which is an accelerator here in, uh, in uh, Shanghai. Sure. So can you talk about how you got in and uh, some tips for uh, other startups founders to get in? Sure. Um, so we started about, we incorporated about two and a half years ago. We, Devin and I have been sitting on this idea for quite a long time, uh, not quite a long time, may, maybe four or five years since I was in the healthcare business. Um, and so I actually left my previous job about two and a half years ago to go on this full time. What and, was the previous job? Uh, I was running operations for a healthcare agency. So okay. corporate. Yeah, corporate. <laughs> and they actually sold to a larger company. Um, unfortunately, I wasn't part of that uh, buyout process, but I did leave the company <laughs> after they sold. I was a UK-based company. So, um, yeah, then we, it, within, we, we actually built this for, uh, out of the, as an idea that came out of the healthcare industry, but we landed quickly into hospitality because we realized there was a, a really big need for getting teams up to speed on SOPs and service standards and, and uh, enhancing customer experience, making right. sure that they could pass a, an internal audit, for example. Mm -hmm. So I feel that we got lucky to get some of the brands that we did in the early days, because we, we, um, we started working with about 10 of the, some very well-known brands uh, globally mm -hmm. here in China uh, within the first year. So we had, I think, product to market fit faster than uh, I was expecting. Okay. Um, yeah. The so the, those customers already begging you to uh, use your product. Please give it to us. I wouldn't I mean, say taking taking from your hands was. I wouldn't say begging, but they saw value in it, and okay. I think because it, again it was so approachable and easy to implement, easy to train the teams how to use it. It wasn't a huge. It wasn't. Um, 
it wasn't super disruptive. It was it was optimizing their, their current operation. Um, so I would like to think that they were begging us for the product, <laughs> but it, 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 hopefully in, a, in about six months, they'll be begging us for the product. I think right now they, it is on their priority list to optimize and, and digitalize their training. Not just to digitalize, but make it, to make, actually make it dynamic and interactive between mm -hmm. online and offline. Um, so yeah, we're really, I feel very fortunate and, and happy with where we, where we were and, and where, we're, where we're going as well with the company and, and the clients and partners that we're working with with Aptium. And how, how did you go out in uh, Chain Accelerator and some of the oh, yeah. tips uh, that you can give to other founders to get in and what's the value they will get out of it? Yeah, so China Accelerator, <coughs> um, I, I do wish that we had joined China Accelerator six months or one year before we did. Um, I have nothing but great things to say about the program. The, the directors of the program are very helpful and continue to help us even after we've you know, graduated from, from, uh, from CA. Um, we got to meet a lot of great people. Uh, we built a lot of great relationships with Batchmates, but also the mentor network um, within within China Accelerator. In terms of getting in, I think it starts with a conversation. Um, go and meet the guys. They're they're really really friendly, and even if China Accelerator is not for you, they'll still um, you know have a chat, and and I think they can provide guidance even on the first meet. Not guidance, but some good tips on even on the first meeting. Um, I think the good thing about China Accelerator is they they. Even if they like you, unless they feel like they can bring you value, they, they, they won't uh, have you join the program, which I think is uh, a good thing. Um, but yeah, I, I would recommend anybody to, any startup to at least... Some tips to get in? Um, some tips to get in. Um, the guys like to drink beer. <laughs> so <laughs> if you can drink beer, that, that's helpful. Yeah, actually we, we were in the same building and uh, we were as... That China Accelerator located, yeah. and there was pretty many events there, <laughs> and the beer was involved. A lot of beer was involved. Yeah, so actually. go go on one of the social events, and it's uh, probably easier to, to have a nice casual chat and get to know the guys. Um, other than that, I mean, it's it's really important to have um, you know a good grasp of, of your your mission and vision of the company. Um, you want to have some traction. They definitely value traction. If you have any clients to highlight and spotlight your different use cases um, with, with your company. Th those things all help. I think to get recommend, recommended by someone that's been through China Accelerator is also very helpful because they build pretty close relationships with the batch companies. Right. Um, so that's quite high value. And now a word from our sponsor. My name is Emmanuel Nama and I'm the CMO of EduGo. Many entrepreneurs and founders know how to introduce themselves, their business, in English. However, they have a hard time doing that in Mandarin. At EduGo, we believe that if you speak to a man in his language, many doors and opportunities may open up for you. That's why we created the 15 Days Challenge, where you first define what you want to learn, why you want to learn it, and we will show you how you're going to do it. With 15-minute online lessons with an EduGo teachers per day and a 30-minute review of that content, you will learn Chinese faster. If you want to pitch your startup in Chinese, follow the link in the show notes and join the challenge. So let's talk about uh, entrepreneurship in general. Yeah. Uh, obviously, as an entrepreneur yourself, CEO, founder, uh, Every time you try to build a startup or a new endeavor, you go through many highs, many lows, and many mm -hmm. no's. Yeah. And the question I want to ask uh, yourself, especially when you get a lot of no's, 
because you do, probably everyone does uh, and gets those. What is the self-talk that you give to yourself through uh, those low time? Yeah, good question. And when you get those no's. <laughs> um, I previously sold advertising and making 50, 60 cold calls a day. Almost okay. all of them are no's, so you kind of just get used to that. Uh, I think that it's good to have some, if you have some experience like that, to, 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 to take advantage of it. Um, so in terms of now, I think it's important to tell yourself that you know, everything that you're doing is an experiment and, and life in general is, is often an experiment. So you have to be ready to, you know, when, when you get a no, it's really the, I know this is often said, but you have to look at it as an opportunity to, to make things better. Um, and there are some, there's some no's that, that are, that really feel like a, like serious. Uh, Scratch your ego, kind of. Well, just crush your, they can crush your confidence, but then you have to be able to re reframe and, and reiterate and uh, refresh your, your thinking on, on how to, how to build the business and, and not just to build the business from a macro level, but how to work on um, offering a better product to your clients, building better relationships with your clients, understanding more completely their needs. It's very easy to think you understand everything. So I think it's also really important to keep a, a very open mind when you're speaking with your own team, but also when you're speaking with your clients to make sure that, you know, those, those no, it, if you get defensive also with a no, that's the worst thing you can do because then people will um, also put up barriers to giving you the constructive criticism you need to build a strong business. I think it's, um, yeah, there's a lot of things we could say about how to <laughs> accept no, but I think that's generally. Right. I, um, I want to segue with another question. So well, obviously both of us are in China trying to build a business. Uh, what is the hardest and at the same time the easiest way when navigating, navigating the Chinese business waters? Mm. Um, I think the stakeholder relationships with a company can be quite dynamic. So you have to look very closely. It definitely helps to speak Chinese, um, as you know, and to connect you're connecting with different stakeholders in much different levels. So if it's a, a foreigner expat that's only been here for a year or two, it's obviously going to be a much different connection than, than um, let's say, with uh, you know operations guy that's from Shanghai or from Beijing. You have to really uh, empathize with the person and their the challenges that they're facing at that time because it's going to be very different, I think, compared to to other other markets. Um, and then understanding their relationship within their organization is really important. So um, when you're being recommended through an organization, who's doing the rec recommendation, um, they might be higher up but not have as much leverage with the team. That's really, these are really important considerations. And I found that to be quite challenging in the early days. You just assume that everybody loves each other and the, and the company that, that you're speaking with. Um, right. But sometimes a recommendation can, uh, from you know, higher up can backfire because of the relationship they have within their organization, for example. Mm -hmm. So that just takes, uh, I think, experience and understanding different industries. Mm -hmm. When working on a startup, what should a founder do or focus on to, on to learn and improve as much as possible? Definitely the customer. It's a no-brainer. No I think you have to listen to the customer. Everything you build should be customer-centric, customer-focused. Um, not just from a product level, but from a service level. You know, we tried to um, launch just a product, like a software as a service in China, and, and it's, that was a big learning for us, that it has to be software plus service. 
um, professional services, translation services, um, you know, face-to-face -face training services, all different types of things. You can't just, we couldn't just come in with uh, just the product. Um, it wasn't going to run itself. And we had to really take a step back and, and reevaluate how we communicated with our customers and how much time we spent with customers. I think that was uh, the, biggest, the biggest learning. It's all about the customer. Right. And at some point, even though the customer is calling you at 3 uh, a.m. when you're sleeping, you have to pick up the call. And, uh, that's why you, you have to have a chatbot. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe that's an star another startup idea that uh, already people, I think. Uh, a lot of people have done the chatbot. Uh, yeah. yeah. Does it work properly as you uh, wish? Um, at least they don't, get a, they don't have to wait. They get some kind of message to say, well, come back to us at 9 a.m. when her <laughs> customer service team is back online. Right, right. Um, let's follow up with this question that I want to ask you. Uh, what would you wish? Uh, what would you wish you had known about startup and business at the age of how old are you now? Thirty-three. Let's say at the age of twenty-seven, which mm -hmm. is my age. Yeah. Um, what would I wish I had what known? You, yes, about business and startups. It's a tough question. I think in my um, previous companies, I probably would have tried to dig deeper in outside of my my job at hand. And I thought I, I thought I was, but I think looking back, I could have dug even deeper, understand the roles in other departments, what their challenges are, um, almost like your the same similar questions you do when you're doing client services um, and trying to like playing product manager role, but really understand the inner workings of a, a big company. Um, it's very easy to get stuck in your silo, especially in a multinational company. And I think looking back at that time, I would have dove deeper in, in, in different areas and, and tried to um, get to know some of the people in the other departments at a much, not just at a friendly level, but understand their trials and tribulations on, on their daily job and, and how they operate the company. Right, because even though you've, um uh, even though when you work in B two B, so you have to reach to corporates. At the end of the day, still are the people who are going to to make the decisions. So even though the corporate itself is a rational entity, have more fixed needs, irrational needs. Still, people who make the decisions to buy your product or interact with those still rely on emotion. So uh, there's a, well, you know, with the the B two B business, it's a lot of. Um, it's a lot of pushing. So, I mean, pushing fr from, you can push your product to an organization. So if you get buy-in from the general manager, the owner of a company, um, decision maker, they can push your product on the people. But what you really want, which is essential in like a B2, B2C software. It's a B2B2C basically, okay. No, I mean, in a B2C, comp in a B2C company, you're gonna, you need pull. The, the, the end user right. is the one that's taking your, your software on. It has nothing to do with that decision maker. But if you can look at a, a B2B software business as with some B2C mindset that those end users are just as important, if not more important than the guy that signed the contract or the, or the woman that right. signed the contract, um, that, that helps you get a lot more of a full um, uh, picture in a, in a company. I mean, a full, you want the pull. You want, you want the end users to be asking their boss, for, for your product, not just the boss saying, you, got, you guys have to use this. That makes a huge difference. So understanding those pain points and what's working, what's not, 
right. all the way down to the end user makes a makes for a lot more success, I think. Mm -hmm. Right, makes sense. So that's, I guess, is one of the the learnings uh, you had over time. So what process do you put in place right now to when you hire? Do you hire more for the cultural fit or do you hire more for the skill set or was a mix of both? Yeah, I think attitude, cultural fit, like I want to make sure that I can go out for a lunch or a drink with the person that I'm working with and, and get along. That's probably number one. Um, the attitude, the willingness to learn is super important. Skills, I think, yes, it's a plus, but it's it's more the attitude and the and the willingness to learn. Um, we want to make sure that they're hungry, that they're they're going to work past six o'clock on days that we we need them to stay. Um, yeah, it says number one. So instead of going after from a hiring strategy standpoint, instead of going after really high level people. Uh, with great experience and skills that sometimes can't can't fit into the startup culture, I think it's easier for us to find uh, younger guys and girls from from university or from an intern level, and to to have them grow within your organization. Uh, I know that's difficult, but it's it's possible, and it feels um, it feels like you can create some long term loyalty with with some of the younger guys. Yeah. Okay, talking about the willingness to learn, where can the listeners and uh, other people can find you yep. and find more about uh, Atium? Um, you can go to our website. So if you're inside China, it's atium.cn. Outside China is atium.app. Um, you can find me on WeChat or... Um, LinkedIn? Yeah, also on LinkedIn. <laughs> It's pretty big now because yeah. it's the only platform that connects uh, China and uh, people with people outside China directly. Yeah, I mean, China has their own uh, version of LinkedIn, but I do think LinkedIn is an underutilized resource for corporations and people to connect with each other on a professional level. So, yeah, we're, we're starting to do more on LinkedIn as well. Um, and we've also launched recently launched our, our blog on, on WeChat and also um, our website blog. So go and check that out for some more information on microlearning and the different industries that we're working in and some of the different partners and clients that we work with. Right. Thank you for taking this 